This is the Living Bertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today examines three different small teaching statements from Jesus in Matthew 18, 1 through 14. Together, we will be discussing our role in protecting and pursuing the little ones. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. And I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you this week to continue our journey through Matthew. And as a quick reminder, last week we finished out uh, Matthew chapter 17. And as we did, we worked through three different snapshots of Jesus's life and ministry. And we addressed how we can have faith in Jesus's consistent provision as we walk with him. Uh, This week, we're going to just keep going, and we're going to move on into Matthew 18, specifically looking at Matthew 18, verses 1 through 14. And again, we will find ourselves walking through uh, three different um, teaching statements from Jesus, dealing with first the kingdom of heaven, uh, then causing others to stumble, and ultimately landing on uh, the popular parable on the wandering sheep. Uh, And so I think this week we have Natasha reading for us. So Natasha, would you take it away? Yeah. So this is Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble." Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. All right. Thank you, Natasha. So there we have it. Uh, these, these three teaching snippets from Jesus. Um, what do we, what do we see in, what are your observations or thoughts, reflections? So I, I think for me, the first thing that, that I saw in studying was that, you know, when I used to look at this, I thought of, of, little children as just that, like from our context, like how we view a child. But in the context of this time, 
It was an honor-shame society, so children were viewed as having a lowly stature and not having worth, but it not being fulfilled until they were an adult because the the maturity what the maturity wasn't there yet. So um, I use the example like when we were just talking about it um, prior to coming on about you know like a savings bond or like a a, a whole life policy like it hasn't reached full maturity until you get a certain length of time. And so it's similar for these children. And so Jesus is calling them to be counter to um, what would be normal for their society, to treat children no different. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you have to be willing to serve from a lowly position like a child. And so I, I just, that's the first thing that I see. Jesus, you know, this is his fifth teaching block, right? This is the start of the last teaching block in Matthew. And so this is, you know, another call, like expounding on what it looks like to live in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be the greatest, be the least. If you want to be the least, you have to be like a child, be willing to serve, be willing to take that low position. And, um, in the margin of my Bible, what I wrote, um, because I think I've always looked at this set of verses talking about uh, being like a child as like the childlike innocence associated with a child. Um, and I, I'm going to set that aside, not necessarily saying yes or no to that, but I think more in the conversation that Jesus is having here is what you're talking about, where it's less about innocence and more about status. Like a child in this day and age, Jesus's day and age had no status. They had no rights. They weren't a person like a a parent could decide to sell their son or daughter at the value that they assigned to them. Um, they could end their life if they wanted to and have no repercussions for it. Um, and so, really, a, a child had a child was one of the most vulnerable people at things and and had no rights. And so to be like a child, man, you lay everything. It, it is the exact opposite of what you would think of greatness. And I mean, children really can't get you anywhere either. And so I think as Jesus is beginning to talk about the kingdom of heaven, and as we begin to look at soci our society and talk about the kingdom of heaven or talk about our churches, Jesus is talking about the people that walk in the doors of our place of worship or into our homes who can't get us anywhere. They have no status in society. They don't have any value to add to what we already have going for ourselves. So I think that God's kingdom is about looking and seeing these people differently than what the value that society places on them. It elevates them to the top. Well, and I think it sets it up great for, you know, he's already been talking about um, talking, talking to them about his death and about what's going to happen. So it kind of sets them up like um, they've already kind of gotten their mind that the, there's not going to be that um, kingdom. Triumphant, conquering. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. So they've already got that. Well, 
partially. Yeah, they're still hold. Uh, Peter's still holding on to it because we know he like cuts off a they're guy's ear. Getting later. it. They're, they're getting, getting it. There, yeah. And I think this just helps. Like, okay, this you guys re- have to realize that this is going to be upside down. So what you think and how you believe things are going to happen and how you view everything is going to be flipped upside down. And I think I think that just further reiterates what he's been trying to get through to them. Yeah. And, and I think the point that you made, ta- Natasha, is like spot on because we have to kind of try to bring everything into our context. And so talking about the people who don't add anything, I think that's a great point, you know, that um, a great reminder that we should be trying our very hardest to look at everyone with, we said what what we call a few weeks ago, like the Jesus filter. And so trying to find the Jesus in them instead of automatically assuming that they have nothing to add. Um, because, you know, if Jesus can make this point to them in their context, that even somebody that has nothing to add is still valuable, we have to be doing the very same thing. Of greatest value, not just, you know, is valuable, but is right. is the greatest. Yeah. I, I think it's funny just in this conversation as well, that the disciples ask the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus's response, I mean, he eventually addresses that, but his first statement is truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like the little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Like he's like, you guys asked me this question over here, but that question indicates that you are so far off that we're not even having the same conversation. Like I can't even talk to you about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because that mentality has no place even in the kingdom of heaven. Right. And so unless you, and, and I mean, he said, unless you change and become like little children. So he was telling, like he has placed this child in front of them, this, this individual with no status And he has said, unless you change, stop doing what you're doing. Another thing, another way that we in the church would say somebody changes, we use the word repent. That means you turn around 180 degrees, change direction. Unless you repent and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so they ask this question on one level and he says, we can't even get there yet because y'all have missed it. <laughs> and I mean, we, we did say they're getting it and they are getting it, but then there's, there's these pieces, these nuances that are so pivotal to what it means to exist in the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is still trying to like work into their understanding. Well, you're dealing with this huge countercultural issue. Mm-hmm. So it reminds me, um, I know we didn't record these, but man, we should have. Um, we we talked. Oh gosh, it's probably last year that we talked about the Beatitudes. Is that, yeah, that was a long, <laughs> time, a long ago. time ago. <laughs> but it, it reminded me of the Beatitudes because it's blessed are the poor in spirit for the mm. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And just the thought that I, I always think that you know the Bible times are so much different, so much removed from where we are now. But our society is not that much different. Like we still have so much pride and our society is saying, what can you do? What can you do for other, you know, kind of, um, not a very humble society, which is, I'm assuming what's going on here. And, um, just to think that that humbleness is what's going to get them there is, is like, like you said, countercultural. Right. 
So then we, you know, have this passage that, that begins the conversation. We have these, the set of verses that begins the conversation of, um, the need to be like little children. And then Jesus moves on in the conversation. Uh, you know, if you are looking at your Bible or on a phone, there's a different heading on mine. It says causing to stumble. And so it moves into this new, what would seem to be separate teaching block, but it's related in the sense of, so he has just established that unless you are like a little child, you have no place in the kingdom of heaven. And then he leads with, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me. And so in kind of placing who we're talking about for this next passage, it's important that we, for this next set of verses, it's important that we remember where we left off in the previous set of verses, that the little ones are the ones that get to be in the kingdom of heaven. So now we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. But have no status in society's eyes. Right, right. And so now moving on, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven. And so now we're talking about these little ones, those ones who believe in me, those ones who have no status, those ones who have humbled themselves and, and gone to the lowest. And then that's from there where the, this conversation goes. This section reminds me of um, what we talked about last week when we talked about um, the temple tax and how Jesus was, they were asking, um, why does Jesus pay the temple tax? And he you know, he, exp- he talks about how um, the king's um, children do not pay the temple tax. He said, then the children are exempt. Um, then he said to him, but so that we may not cause offense. And he tells him to go and, and put out the line and catch the fish and, fish and pay the temple tax. Um, that's a lot, I think, similar to causing someone to stumble. If we're going to cause offense or cause a little one to stumble, um, by what we're going to do, we need to make sure that we're not doing, you know, we need to kind of nip that in the bud and, um, cut that off. Like if, you know, I think about my children as uh, my children are, are watching me and following me. If I'm doing something, um, that would cause one of my children to go, to kind of go that direction and to go off and to stumble, um, I need to be aware and I need to, you know, cut that off. Stop. You know, even if it's something that I fight doesn't, doesn't bother me and it isn't harmful to me. It's harmful to those around me. Mm. But I also have to think when I'm thinking about that, in order for me to know if it's causing somebody to stumble, I have to know them. Mm -hmm. I have to be close enough to them to be able to recognize that they're stumbling. And that I think is something we in the church have a hard time with. Um, I think as a corporate church, um, I think we do, we, I think we have fellowship and I, I think we do a good job for the most part with that. Um, but to really know somebody, to really have that accountability. Um, like I have accountability with my husband. Like he, Derek knows if something's going on with me, he can tell pretty quickly that something's not right and vice versa. But would it's hard to put our church in that because I feel like we have we're we're just very different in some things. <laughs> um, but I'm thinking about like um, somebody who doesn't know me as well. Would they be able to notice, mm. you know, the subtle changes that would, you know, cause them to think, okay, maybe something's not right. But I would ha- I feel like you would have to know somebody very well to know if they're going to stumble or not. Mm. 
listening to you talk about that, Brittany, I feel like is where you kind of draw this line of when does the fact that it's my right really fall to pieces? Like it's no longer a a good argument. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And so perhaps this is one of those places where we can draw that line is, is this going to cause someone to stumble? Is this, I mean, and, and not necessarily stumble in the traditional ways that we like to, to label as stumbling, but even just from the perspective of pride or arrogance or idolatry or all these things that we, we fixate on because of our rights. Yeah. Because of our rights. And so, um, and when we, we fixate on them, perhaps for us, it isn't a sin because we know how to set that aside. Well, when it comes to Jesus, but somebody else hearing us talk about, well, I have my rights and this is how, you know, this is how I think that this should go they then may take that and say, well, those are my rights. So clearly that supersedes, you know, this servanthood or this upside down kingdom that I've been called to live into where I'm supposed to humble myself, where I'm supposed to become like one of these little ones, where I'm supposed to be like a child. Um, so Natasha, just hearing you talk about that, um, I, I believe that Jesus spoke to you and told you that. I, I do. Because as you were talking, I was thinking about things in my life and um, something as innocent as, you know, we're adults. So, you know, we have social media. It's not a big deal for us because we know how to use it and we know how to do things. But I'm thinking about, I have a 14 year old daughter and her, she, she wants social media so bad. I can't, I just can't let her have it. That's just not, it's not something I feel like I can do, but is the time that I'm spending on that, is that pushing her further to want that, to desire that. Mm. Um, that's something I'm really going to have to search God for, you know, because that may be a way, um, maybe something that's causing my child to, and we've already had, not to air her dirty laundry, but we've already had issues with this, um, with her in the past. And is that pushing her further towards that? Mm. Or that desire. Desire. I, I see this passage as a call to sacrifice um, because we have to be willing. Um, I think that Jesus, he's so good with his words. He's so pointed. And, and because um, in here he says, um, but woe to the person through whom they come, the the stumbling comes. Um, he says, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. And he continues to say the you, you, you. But when we say you, we mean the church. And I think when Jesus said you, he meant like the church. So everyone. So if you're causing your brother, you're causing everybody to stumble because you are a body. Mm. So your sacrifice is vital to the person beside you. Because if you aren't willing to cut your arm off, you're saying, I am more important than you. Mm. Just like Brittany was saying with the example with Brooklyn. Like, if we're not willing to do that, we're saying that our brother or sister is less important to us. When Jesus just got done saying that children, the the least have a place in the kingdom of heaven. And so like we have to elevate everybody to that same level or we're all falling. There's something that keeps sticking out to me and it's not really maybe going to have a full 
connection until next week with the passage that we're going to talk about. But this causing to stumble, he, this statement is made of it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Um, something I read, and it wasn't even the focus of what was being said, but the statement was made that the millstone is a community millstone. The societies back then, it's not like you could, like every house just had a millstone sitting around that could press out the grain and, and make what flour and stuff. And so Jesus in his statement, and maybe this is way off. I don't think it is, but Jesus in a statement here is talking about how like not only would it be better for that person to be removed, right? Than to cause somebody to stumble it is better for that community to give up this stone that represents life to sacrifice that to preserve the community for the long run. And, and there, again, it comes back to this conversation of sacrifice. And I do, I think there is a huge communal conversation happening here that I don't know that I've ever recognized before. I've always seen it as very individualistic, like very like Jesus is just speaking to me specifically. And so whatever I do, I need to make sure I don't cause somebody to stumble. And if I do, I need to cut something off. But like, I I think as you said, you made a very good observation. Like we are the body. And so there is this important communal aspect to this conversation where we need to be held accountable to each other and that can only happen in relationship like Brittany brought up. And when we're recognizing the things that are going on and and we need to be willing to sacrifice as a community for the sake of the community. And I don't know that that's something that we're too comfortable with these days because we are so individualistic. Um, Man, I, I, I wouldn't be too happy, Derek, if you felt like we needed to make a decision that actually cost me, right? Um, you can make a decision for yourself that can cost you and, and we're good, but don't make a decision that's going to cost me. But, you know, Jesus follows it up with how much he cares for everyone. Yeah. As he talks about this this wandering sheep, because at any moment, that could be any one of the church, any one of the body. And so he's expressing such great love that he would leave all the others. He would lay everything down. He would put down every right, right? He would inconvenience himself, mm-hmm. whatever it took to save even just that one. And I kind of jump back a little bit. Um, I think it's, I think what Jesus did by using body parts is very, like, it's very telling for the church because we talk about, you know, parts of the body and how we need all the parts of the body. But saying that being willing to sacrifice an eye for the sake of the rest of the body, be willing to sacrifice an, a hand or a foot for the rest of the body, that's not a comfortable topic to talk about. Um but there are going to be those that are wandering off potentially because it's something that we do. And we like, we're going to kind of get into this next week, mm-hmm. but like 
Jesus, like, at what point are we are we willing to say, oh, no, hand, you can keep doing what you're doing. It's okay. Like, at what point do we, ha- like, Jesus has a limit. Like, at what point is it okay to keep doing what we're doing at the sake of other lives? Um, and I think that's like, that's like, hits like a ton of bricks. Like, because you don't think about, it's easy to not think about what my stumbling or what my, not even stumbling, what my actions, how they're affecting someone else in the body. If I'm not being, if I'm not elevating everybody to the same level, then I'm, I'm potentially harming someone because we all have the same value in God's eyes. We're no different. And so if I'm not elevating people to that same level, you know what? Maybe, maybe I should be cut off. Because the goal is, like he even says it, I mean, it's the last verse, verse 14, in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any any of these little ones should perish. He right. doesn't want any of us to perish. Right. But the warning is, like, like, if we don't get it together, cut the hand off, because I would rather the rest of the body make it than that hand to cause the whole body, cause the demise of the whole body. And so that's the question, right? He's not willing. Are we are we willing? Like would we continue to allow that hand or that body part to persist knowing that it could cost one of the little ones? Well, and I think Derek you said like what is Jesus has a line. What's the line? And I think the line is verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble. That's the line. The line that Jesus has is, man, if you're causing, if you're causing people in my kingdom to stumble, it would be better for you to have a millstone hung, stone hung around your neck. And so there's his line. And yet, even though that is the line, the follow up, like you said, is okay. So that person is, you know, that the hand is cut off. It's a little abrupt because we go from talking about hands to talking about sheep, but that hand is cut off. And then again, man, I just want to get into next week's statement because the dealing with sin in the church, because it it is so pertinent to this conversation right now, a small preview. The statement is treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And that doesn't mean ignore them, hate them, Close the door on them, label them a sinner. It actually means eat food with them and love them. Right. And so it's like, there's this, it's even, it's, it's hard to actually explain (laughs) because I I think I'm only just beginning to really understand and, and probably not even really understand fully, but it's hard to even explain what Jesus is talking about here because it, it's so unfathomable. Right. It doesn't even compute. It is so upside down. In this back and forth of, well, if you're cut, like the line is, if you cause somebody to stumble, you got to be cut off, but then we got to chase after that person who's been cut off. Right. And and like, you know, we send out a group text, like of the, the songs we're going, like we're doing. And so here I'm thinking of how deep the father's love for us, mm-hmm. that he would go to such great lengths. Like for me, I think of, when I think of the wandering sheep, I, I think of the Luke passage because for me that resonates more like because in here it doesn't talk about what it talks about in Luke 
like the mindset of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that they would, you know, say that somebody's not worth it. And yet Jesus paints this picture, you're wrong, like they are worth it. I would leave everybody that thinks they're okay on the hill to go out in pursuit of the one that's lost. Like, it's not that I don't care about the ones who don't know that they're lost, but I do care about the one who's who's way out there. And so I, I, I don't know. I just, um, I think that that paints such a picture of that love. You're right. Like, it's it's unfathomable. Like, how deep is the Father's love that, he doesn't want us to cause someone to stumble. But if we do, like, we got to cut that person off, but then go and chase after the person. And, like, it doesn't, like, you can't rationalize it. No, because <laughs> we would even today, we would say it makes no sense. If somebody has been eliminated from the body or if they've wandered off themselves, like, they're gone. And if if they want to be a part of this, like, they know what they're walking away from. They can come back. They know what it takes to be back here. But that's not what Jesus talks about. Right. It, and it, it doesn't even say that the sheep wanders back and finds them. Like it says, and if he finds it, truly, I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. Like, it, that's crazy. The sheep is the one who walked away or or the, the person within the church is the one who decided to not be a part of the body anymore. And in in our mindset today, we would say, man, they made the choice. And Jesus would say, but it's your job to go get them. Right. And what would it be like if we in the church were so concerned and consumed by a, a passion to find the one that we actually, that we were actually happier about finding that one right. than all of the 99 we're, we're too focused on counting the 99 that are still inside the building because it's like, hey, check out the 99 we got in the building. But could you imagine what it would be like if we actually celebrated the one and, and, and like our mindset was like, you left us and we're not the same without you and we want you back. And maybe you did a lot to wrong us, and maybe we have every, quote, right to not want you here, but I want you here. Right. It's the recognition that without that hand or that foot or that eye that you're not whole. Not whole. And until that hand, foot, or eye comes back, you're, you're not whole. And so, you know, you have to be in pursuit of, of what makes you whole. Well, granted, Jesus is what makes us whole, but in this pursuit of being a body, that hand, that foot, that eye, that is what makes us whole. And without that, like we're not really complete, even though Jesus is what completes us. Like we're not really complete without every bit of the body working together. And we're I mean, I think we would all say like we're better together. Like Jesus has made us better together, so yeah. The practical implementation of this is exhausting to think about. <laughs> when I think about when I think about the pursuit of just the people who don't know him, it's exhausting. And then when I think about adding to that number all those who have tasted, seen, and wandered off, 
Like it's, it's overwhelming. Um, and then I don't know, as I'm thinking this, as you guys are talking and I'm getting overwhelmed and I'm like, oh, I don't have time for that. Um, I just, I felt Jesus speak to me and say, like, I gave my life. It took my whole life. And so, yeah, maybe this is what, like, this is what it means to die. This is the cross. Like, this is. I might get in trouble for this and that's fine. I'll deal with the consequences later. Um, But has a daughter of one that has gone astray. I would, I would do it every time. I would do anything in my power that I had to bring that one back because that one's mine. That one, that's my loved one. And I would hope that those that are around would do the same, that they would continuously go and search for him and be a pursuit of him. I just, I, yeah, sorry. I just was thinking of, of how, you know, um, we believe that, that, that God can reach anyone. We believe, like, that the shepherd is in pursuit, and that in that pursuit that he's called us to join him in pursuing the sheep. But oftentimes in my, my life, I feel like I've been limited in the sacrifice that I'm willing to give in pursuit of the lost sheep. And so, like, for me, Jesus... I recognize that my sacrifice has been limited. I don't believe in limited atonement, but I believe that I've limited you in my ability or my willingness to give time, effort, conversations, whatever that you've required. And for that, I'm truly sorry. Uh, Because... As much as you believe that there are people that God's called you called for your your dad, um, we have been called those people in other people's moms, dads, and brothers, and sisters, and nieces, and nephews, sons and daughters, sons and daughters. And so, man, this this life is short. I'm 38 years old, and I don't want to live a life of couldas and wouldas, and shouldas. And yeah, I don't want to be a stumbling block, but I think we've kind of moved beyond that. It's it's not that we can't be a stumbling block. I do believe that we can be, but like, what are we doing to pursue those who've stumbled, those who've gone astray, or those who are not yet Christians, as we like to say? Like, what am I doing I'm wasting so much time on so many things that tomorrow, if you came back, they wouldn't matter, Jesus. And I just don't want to do it anymore. And so this is me asking you as friends, as as fellow believers, as accountability partners, to not let me settle for that. And so we talk about on our, our Thursday nights about holding one another accountable. And so this is my cry. This is... This is what we talk about 
in this living vertizontal that, that God has placed these people around us to help us listen and to see and and to hold us accountable to what you've called us to, Jesus. And so please hold me accountable to that because, you know, we, we believe we've been called here, that there are people God's placed in our lives. And you mentioned someone the other day, and Jesus, I recognize, I won't say their name in case they listen, but I recognize I have dropped the ball. And so thank you for speaking through Nick, and thank you for being faithful. Uh, but man, life is so short. There are so many who've wandered off. And, you know, I can't be there necessarily for my family, but I trust Jesus that you've called people to that. And I recognize that you've called me to the same thing for other people's families. So I know that was a long spill, but Jesus, I recognize that that there's still work to do. And so I thank you for that recognition that, that you hold us you know, you hold us accountable that you don't let us just walk through life not recognizing that there's more to do. And so thank you for conviction. Um, but I don't want it to just be that. I want there to be follow through on my part. And so help me on that. And so perhaps, you know, we've been a number of different places as we've work through these three different um, teaching um, statements. Perhaps the question that we leave with for this time is, who is the one that Jesus is calling you to right now? Whether you're sitting around this table right now recording this, or maybe you're you know driving in your car listening, or sitting at a desk, or I don't know, on a couch... Who is the one that Jesus is calling you to? To pursue relentlessly. To search high and low. Just as he does. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.